My name is Trisha Kegler, and I'm very excited to be sharing Isaiah 32 to 35 with you. Um, But I'm going to tell you, before I get started, I'm going to take a little side trip here and tell you a little bit that my family just got back from taking an exciting excursion. Kyle and my two 15-year-old daughters just got back from Haiti. And there's a couple of quick pictures there. You'll see there's a group of girls um, that are working with the orphans. They are just so welcoming and so excited to see you. And they said they had someone in their arms just 24-7, always wanting to be with you. Um, Next shows you my daughter Kelsey with a darling little boy named Matthew. And then there's Kaylee. That's my other daughter. And she's with the little girl named Love. Isn't that the sweetest name ever? Love. Um, But the reason I mentioned Haiti is if you – well, by the way, if you – ever want to know more information about the watermark trips to Haiti, I will tell you tons. Several of you in this room actually went, and it's a wonderful experience, not just for your kids, but for you too. I could go on and on about it, but the reason I mention it today is if you have ever gone on a mission trip, maybe an extended backpacking trip, or even worked at a summer camp for a while, you kind of start to develop these cravings kind of the creature comforts from home that you might be missing. It could be that cheeseburger, that long hot shower. You you get the idea. But the longer you are away, the stronger the craving is. And the reason I mention that today is because in Isaiah, we have been through destruction and desolation and woes and the sweet stuff is coming. So I want to remind you that all the rough desolation and such does not last forever, and it will be really sweet as we get to the better part of the plan that's coming. And, And I do mention quickly here in chapter 33, we saw the country of Assyria get a lot of their you know, what was due them coming, but um, we're really not going to focus on that today. Let me give you a little perspective. I like to think chronologically, so I've made a couple timelines for us today, um, just where we've been. If you joined us last semester for Daniel, you heard us reference the 70th week of Daniel. And for those of you who weren't here, very simply put, that's what most people refer to as the end times. It's a seven-year period where the tribulations and, and just the end times occur. But I want you to notice right in the middle of that 70th week, in the middle of that seven years, a period of time begins called the Day of the Lord. And the Day of the Lord is mentioned a few times in these chapters, and I want you to have in your brain what that is. First of all, it's misleading, because doesn't that sound like a celebration or a party or woohoo kind of time? It's not. The Day of the Lord is actually the beginning of a very horrific time on the earth. The wrath of God is released. There is destruction, and it is not a time that you and your loved ones want to take part of. But there's more to this story. Let's continue the timeline here. We'll see at the end of Daniel's 70th week, Christ returns. This is most people call the second coming of Christ. That is immediately followed by the battle of Armageddon, which is immediately followed by the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we're going to talk about these in much greater detail here in a minute. But I wanted you to have a little context before we dove into those topics here. Let's start with Armageddon. In Isaiah 34, um, we get a little bit of insight into what is going to happen and who and how, you know, just the events of Armageddon. I want to take you through first the who. Who will be there? 
Well, we know obviously Christ will be there, the Lord himself. But ladies, this is not the lamb that came the first time. This is the roaring lion that is coming back. And matter of fact, I'm going to give you a really good vivid description from Revelation 19 of what it's going to be like or what Christ will be like when he comes back. Take a look at Revelation. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ladies. This is no mamby-pamby Jesus. And by the way, boys love this. They get so into that whole warrior, you know, persona there. But I want you to have an idea that last time Christ came, he came with a gift for us. and was a much more of a humble servant. This time when Christ comes, it's a whole different picture. He comes to judge and wage war and take care of some business. And he is, he is going to take care of some business here. Um, who else will be there? Well, we see when we take a look down at verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the, on the horse and against his army. So we do know that there's another part of the story here. That's the who will actually be at Armageddon. Now, what? What takes place? I use the term battle because it sounds like it's a fierce battle, but you know what? It's really not. This is a very one-sided picture, and one man takes care of everything. Look at verse 21. Actually, in 20, it talks about that the beast and the false prophet are taken care of, but go with me to 21. It says, And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay, in that, Christ alone wipes out all that need to be wiped out. And and not to be too graphic with you, but the scriptures talk about there will be blood as high as the horse's saddle. It's going to saturate the earth. And it talks about the birds, the vultures being gathered from all over the the earth to come consume the bodies, the dead bodies that will be there. It's a very kind of gruesome picture. But believe it or not, this is going to sound a little crazy. I actually take comfort in that because if you've ever known it, Someone where a time when the innocent were abused or taken advantage of, or maybe the wicked were rewarded. Ladies, a day of reckoning is coming. And I want you to remember this is later on, this isn't just now. The atrocities and the evil nature that's going to be displayed is going to be far worse than what you and I have encountered even now today. And that day of reckoning, that ultimate justice, the price will be paid. That's the Battle of Armageddon. Now, after Armageddon has concluded, a new light comes. The millennial kingdom is going to be established at that point in time. And I don't know for you, if you've ever had to work for a really horrible boss, or if you've ever been under a bad leader, you can appreciate the distress and the 
you know, discomfort and just the anguish that that can produce. And, and just think right now, it made me think about what's happening in the Middle East, all the uprisings against um, Mubarak and Gaddafi and just all the rebellious against poor leadership that's taken place there. There will be a day when there is a perfect leader reigning over us. And that gets me every kind of excited. In Isaiah 32 and in Isaiah 35, we see a lot of the description of what will happen with the millennial kingdom when Christ himself will reign. And that's what I like. First of all, he's going to be physically here on the earth. Check out Zechariah 14.9. I don't know if I can read it from here. I've got to pull on the glasses for this. Sorry. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. And in Zechariah 8, this one I did right on my sheet. The Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. It even says there won't be a sun or a moon or stars because he will be the light. He himself will illuminate, his presence will illuminate the earth. I get pretty excited about that. That's really amazing. So that's who um, with our millennial kingdom. Let's talk about what life will be like when Christ is at the helm and running the show here on earth. First of all, we know that there will be no fear on the earth. Zephaniah 3.15 gives us some really good insight here. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. Can you imagine not, as a woman, not having to fear and lock your doors or look over your shoulder? No enemies. In addition to that, no fear of disasters, earthquakes, thunderstorms. You get tornadoes. It won't be part of it. Second, in Micah, it says that we can live in peace. Specifically, here's what it says. The nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine, under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. What a great place. There will be prosperity. Now, when I say prosperity, I don't mean that, oh, everyone is rich. What I do mean is that you will be able to settle down, dig in roots, and develop a life for yourself if you so desire without someone running you off and, you know, stirring up things. Amos chapter 9 says, They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. And that tells you that it takes time to establish that and to have that available to you. And finally, in Isaiah 65, we see that there will be harmony on the earth. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That is a place I could get pretty excited about. And based on what's in the news today, ladies, I'd call that real winning, if you know what I mean. Um, But I will tell you this. We've taken some time to look at the past with Israel and Assyria, and we've taken some time to look at the future with the Battle of Armageddon and the millennial reign. But what about today, 2011 present, here for you and me? Well, I've got a couple things that I hope and think should really encourage you. 
Number one, the storms are not going to last forever. As a believer, we know we're not immune to hardships coming our way. They will come, but they won't last forever. Have a little perspective on that. And the other thing I hope you saw when we were looking through these scriptures is that God has a plan, a sovereign plan. Hang on just one second. And I don't know about for you, that gives me great comfort to know that God has a plan. And I will tell you that sometimes God's plan does not always line up with Trisha's plan. And as a woman, I think very often we have to fight that natural response where we want to control the circumstances or maybe manipulate what's going on because we want our plan to be, you know, fulfilled. And this is where I'm going to encourage you to sit back and trust. Instead of trying to do, do, do and manipulate, I'm going to encourage you to trust. And I will tell you, those are easy words to say, and they're hard words to live because it has everything to do with our heart. And I say that because this last two years, the Lord has had my heart on a trust journey where he is trying to teach me to trust deeper and harder and stronger. And it's not easy. The short version I'll just tell you my story real quick, is that um, I made a career change two years ago, and I started in the mortgage industry. I help people get their home loans and refinances and such, and and I love what I do. It's really fun. But I want you to know that, like anyone else, when I first started my job, I was all gung-ho and excited, and, you know, I prepared. I had to pass this test. I got licensed, and then sure enough, they come up with another test, and then I have to pass that one, and, and, you know, and I'm jumping through all the hoops, and I'm feeling really good, and business just did not come. It's like I was in the desert. In the, I mean, no money coming in, no money coming in, but... The bills are coming in, the medical expenses, the car is breaking down, you know, you, you get the picture. So I'm getting, you know, anxious over here, going win, win, win. And I'm not talking just a couple weeks or a couple months. We were in the desert for a while, and there were many tears shed, you know, in this process of learning to trust. You know, and God did eventually let it rain, and, and business is off and going, and, and I'm so grateful. But you know what? With every loan application I take now, it's... Thy will be done. It's not, oh, I want to close this deal. It's, Lord, if this is your will, great. Excited about that. But you know what? That's not where my trust is. My, not, my trust is not in that bank account. My trust is not in, will business come in or will business not come in? My trust is in the Lord. If he allows it, it's going to happen. I mean, I can advertise and have word of mouth and everything else, you know, that you want in my business. But you know what? If God wants it to, me to be in the desert, I'm going to be in the desert. And if he wants it to rain, it will rain. And so I tell you that that trust has been really, really critical for me. Um, and I have a little exercise that I think might help y'all here. Um, I've got a few handy volunteers that I would love. If you were one of my volunteers today, would you stand up, please? There's just a small handful of you. And I have to put on my glasses here. And I'm putting on my scarf for a reason. Now... Oh, you're so funny. We're going to do just a very simple exercise that you guys get to witness. And I just want you to just kind of pay attention here as we go through this. Stephanie, tell me what color is my scarf? This scarf. She says it's yellow. Okay. Carol, what color is my scarf? She says it's red. Okay. Kelly? 
It's yellow. This this car. Okay, Kay. It is yellow. This this scarf. Okay. Um, Pam. You think this is a yellow scarf? Carol, they're not saying the same thing as you. Are you? Are you? Okay, Cheryl. What what color is my scarf? She thinks it's a yellow scarf too. Closer to yellow than red is what she said. Ladies, thank y'all so much. Y'all can can sit down here. Guys, 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 truth. Let's say we're not talking about the color of a scarf. Let's say we're talking about truth. Truth is not dependent upon what other people think. I asked Carol, is this scarf red? And she said, yeah. Carol, how do you know it's red? <laughs> I mean, pretty simple. She can see it. It's, it's a red scarf. I want to bring you back to this. Truth is valid. It is not dependent upon public opinion, whether other people believe it or not. Truth is not dependent upon whether the majority accept it or not. And like Carol, you may be in the minority. Matter of fact, there can be a lot of times when you're the only person saying the scarf is red when everyone around you is saying, no, it's okay for the scarf. We all think it's yellow. Yellow is more convenient. Yellow is a happy color. Yellow is politically correct. The scarf is still red. And I'll even go so far as to say truth is not dependent upon whether you personally believe it. It is still valid regardless of that. Now, I will tell you this. If you are a believer in Christ, you are on the side of truth. You can kind of just let that soak in for a minute. That's great news right there. But I'm going to ask you, as a believer in Christ, are your everyday choices, the directions of your life, are they being steered by this truth? Not some of it, not the parts that are convenient, all of it. And I'm going to also leave you with this, just as a, a nugget to digest here. With truth, you don't have to control your circumstances because God in his truth has told us that he has a plan. With truth, the storms of life are still going to blow, but they're not going to last forever. I am going to encourage you, dear friends, that instead I want you to cling to truth because it will provide a solid foundation that's going to endure whether you're in good times, hard times, and all of the above. And so with that, let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so grateful to be called your children. We are so grateful that we can trust in your truth, Lord, that it is valid no matter what is going on around us. Lord, I pray that we will not try to control and manipulate our lives. I pray that we will um, trust in your sovereign plan, that you will take our hearts to places where we can trust you deeper and stronger and know that you are good. Thank you for your word and encouragement in Isaiah. Amen.